All right, welcome to another episode of Our Bullshit Economy on the Road Edition. It was either not say anything at all or try to put something together while I'm on the road here, so you'll have to excuse the poor podcast quality, the audio quality, but uh, I had to uh, offer up my thoughts here and get some uh, catharsis without the inconvenience of paying a therapist bill, and unfortunately, you guys are on the receiving end of that, so this would be a great time to remind you that my podcast is brought to you by my patrons. Patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. I will shout out a couple of my patrons right now, then I want to get on right away talking about the crisis in crypto that who could have seen it coming, folks? Who could have seen it coming? How about Sam Bankman-Fried basically admitting this summer that yield farming is a giant Ponzi scheme? But I digress. I digress. This podcast is brought to you by my friends over at Masterworks. I love people at Masterworks. You can check out their link. It is in my podcast description. You can skip their wait list by using promo code QTR. Masterworks is a great way for normal, everyday investors to invest in the art market, which is usually very difficult for people to invest in if you don't have a large sum of money. So Masterworks makes that investable to the everyday investor. Art has been great since the market has been crashing. I've seen art that I've been invested in be up double-digit percentages, while the S&P and the NASDAQ are down. Uh, You know, the art markets have traditionally been known to be a good inflation hedge. And where else are you going to get access to being able to invest in something like a Monet or a a Banksy? You know, these multi-million dollar paintings. Obviously, you're not going to be out there buying them. Uh you know, on their own, because if you were worth millions of dollars, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. So what do you think about that? So you buy a piece like I did and you enjoy that little piece and you savor it and you lie to people at parties and tell them you own a Banksy when really you own one ten thousandth of it. You know, it's a whole big, uh, it's a big pomp and circumstance, but anyways, Masterworks does it great. I love these guys very much. Link is in my podcast description. Please, well worth checking them out. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at Market Rebellion, John and Pete Nigerian, formerly of CNBC. They have now defected. Uh, at least John has. Uh, so I guess we should offer him a congratulations for that. But <laughs> John and Pete Nigerian, experts in the world of options. Nobody does it better than these guys. Market Rebellion is a wonderful trading community. If you are an active trader, if you're looking for education, if you're looking for uh, it's really anything, any type of guidance from specialists that have been in the market for decades. These guys have gone from being on the floor in the trading pits to running Market Rebellion. They are experts. They are wonderful, honest guys to do business with. And I love the community at Market Rebellion. So check them out. The link is in my podcast description. This link also brought to you by another one of my favorite communities, George Gammon over at Rebel Capitalist Pro. George Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh have teamed up with Brent Johnson to help you figure out the world, how to preserve your wealth in a world of -of out-of-control central banks. George Gammon's podcast is way more popular than mine because he is much smarter than I am. And that's why you should listen to it. And that's why you should become a Rebel Capitalist Pro member. When I look for talking points and people to plagiarize and investing ideas that I can't come up with my own, I go check out George's forums. That's where I do all my dirty work. All right, folks. I lo- honestly, though, I do love reading their uh, mock portfolios. And I love George. Great guy. I've had him on the podcast a million times and I've been on his wonderful human being. 
This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at the Sang Lucci Steam Room, Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus, two of the original gangsters in the options world. These guys had coined the term option sweepers before anybody knew what it was. They are some of the original gangsters in the world of options. Nobody knows market psychology and options better than these guys. I would put them on a par with the Nigerian brothers. I was telling somebody last week between Market Rebellion and Sanglucci Steam Room, I'm not sure that you can have a better grip on what's going on in the options market than with those two services. So check those guys out. And also, finally, last but not least, my exclusive gold and silver providers over at JM Bullion. And tell you what, gold and silver have been looking curiously like there's some interest in the precious metals all of a sudden. And uh, I think maybe even we're seeing a little bit of a rotation trade from crypto to metals, which of course is something I had been predicting for a while. But we'll have to see if that plays out. We, uh, we could be on that path or it could be a head fake. But all I know is cryptos are getting crushed and gold and silver are ticking higher. So if you're looking for bullion, you can email Laura, the lovely L-A-U-R-A at jmbullion.com. She's there exclusively for QTR podcast listeners. She can help you with anything you need in the gold and silver bullion world. Please, when you check these guys out, tell them that the Q-Man sent you. They will hook you up with whatever you want. And uh, it's great feedback for them to know that their investment in my podcast, which is being done on a freeway right now, that's how much time I'm putting into it nowadays, <laughs> that their investment in me is worthwhile. Okay, so what's the big news? Sam Bankman Freed, formerly worth $100 billion, today is worth about a Domino's pizza and a Diet Pepsi uh, after his firm FTX has imploded along with its signature FTT token after a massive liquidity crunch. Uh, who the hell could have seen it coming, folks? It happened to Celsius and uh, it happened to several other firms. It happened to Three Arrows Capital. It's happening to FTX now. And I think it'll happen to other firms in the future because as the price of the underlying Bitcoin continues to move lower, the crunch is going to be on. Margin calls, deleveraging, and when everybody wants their money all at once and you're promising 5, 6, 7, 10% yields by shuffling around crypto, all of a sudden you look up and there's a fucking hole in the balance sheet and that's what happened. Bankman Freed tried to offload the company to Binance, it looked like, but today it was reported that pending the due diligence, Binance was not going to be interested in uh, in acquiring the company or bailing them out is really what it is. We'll have to see what becomes of that. Um, but yeah, isn't it funny now with Bitcoin at $16,000 uh, as I speak that in a 4% rate environment, all of a sudden... All of the joking, all of the hubris, all of the arrogance, all of the have fun, staying poor, nonsense, the bullshit, the laser eyes, the Tom Brady endorsements, the Matt Damon commercials, everything fucking napalmed right now. Napalmed. And what I said when Bitcoin went to 20,000 was people better hope that it holds. First off, what I said before that was all of the yield farming names were going to get crushed. Okay, because it was going to be a snowball rolling down a hill and a self-fulfilling prophecy. Once Bitcoin start Bitcoin started to tick lower, that these 
yield farming operations were just not going to be able to do it. And you didn't need to know anything other than the yields that they were promising were unsustainable. And not only are they unsustainable now, obviously, but I mean, rates are at 4% now. So you could make a case for 5, 6, 7% because really you get 4% on a fucking T-bill and then turn around and try to, you know, scrounge up the other 3% from somewhere else. But that wasn't what was happening. You were getting promises of these massive yields while rates were at 0%. And, you know, to get a yield at 10% when uh, junk paper is trading at 7% or 6% or 5%, whatever ridiculous uh, price junk paper is trading at right now, you just know something is unsustainable and it's not going to work. And so goes fucking Celsius. So goes Three Arrows Capital. So goes Luna. And now Sam Bankman-Fried, who, by the way, okay, by the way, a month ago, two months ago, was the guy that was bailing everybody out. Everybody was like, here's the fucking Mac Daddy grandfather of crypto, the man who has done it the right way, has preserved his assets, who's, you know, at the next peak cycle of Bitcoin is going to become the richest man in the world, the man with the naming rights to the stadium, the man with the name of his company on the front of fucking Major League Baseball umpires, the commercials, everything gone. Just like that. 24 to 36 hours ago, this motherfucker was on the front of magazines being heralded as some kind of crypto genius and the second coming of Christ 24 to 36 hours later, there are he's getting basically getting death threats on Twitter. I was looking at Twitter earlier today. There are people on Twitter that are telling him, I had all my money with you, I'm completely fucked, blah, 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 blah. So how quickly the tide can turn and I can bark and yell and make a big scene out of it when everything's bright and rosy and Bitcoin's at 50, 40, 30,000. And I'm saying, hey, take caution because one day you wake up and all of a sudden things are different than they were the day before. Well, now that's exactly what we see. If we had talked about Sam Bankman Freed three days ago, three fucking days ago, you would have been like, he's the fucking man when it comes to crypto. He was worth $16 billion. He was the boy wonder. He had nothing to worry about. He was the guy that was, you know, consolidating all these other firms on the cheap. He was the savvy investor, right? The Buffett of crypto to go in and buy all these distressed assets. Well, it turns out he was a distressed asset too. And as I wrote after Celsius went under, and you can go back and read my blog, as I wrote, there are firms blowing up that we don't even know about yet. So you can try to chase down all the counterparties if you want, but all you need to know is that I don't think the blow-ups have finished. And like I said earlier this year, like I said on Palisades Gold Radio uh, this summer, until Michael Saylor gets carried out, I don't think Bitcoin is going to bottom. I think that there needs to be some real destruction this cycle because, not just because Bitcoin is repricing and not just because there's all this perverse leverage that needs to come out of the system. By the way, do you remember when Peter Schiff interviewed Alex Mashinsky 
or debated him and Mashinsky told him that all the leverage had already come out of the system, okay, that Bitcoin was at two or three times what it's trading at now. So there's no way that could have been true. And I still think there's more leverage that needs to get dealt with in the system. So look, back in June, back in July, and by the way, Bankman Freed did an interview back in June or July. He was on the Odd Lots podcast, which is a great podcast. That's Bloomberg's podcast with Matt Levine basically trying to explain the process of yield farming. And what he was saying was, it's like a magic box where you put stuff in and all of a sudden it just commands a several hundred million dollar market cap, although it has no utility, no demand, and isn't worth anything and isn't tangibly providing any product or service. And he was saying it with conviction. Like, that's how it's supposed to work. And Matt Levine from Bloomberg was like, that's a fucking Ponzi scheme. Well, bingo, all of a sudden, we're getting some proof that that's the case. So now, with rates at 4%, not only are people going to be feeling the pain of crypto deleveraging, but it's coming at the same time that you can't raise capital, so it's tougher to fund operations or bail out your business. It's coming at a point where everybody's cost of debt is higher, so Personal savings rates are at a recent low. Credit card usage is at a recent high. People are tapped out. The retail investor and the retail consumer are tapped out. There's no better example of that than Elon Musk, right? He overlevered himself by buying Twitter at the top. And what has he been doing? He's been selling shares of Tesla, which has gone from like 230 to the 180s now in basically no time because he took on leverage at the worst possible time. And, you know, it was a free ride for him on the way up because, in my opinion, Tesla basically went up because of a gamma squeeze. So he was afforded the, you know, uh, he was afforded the honor of being the richest man alive, but I'm not sure he deserved it. And instead of cashing some out then and saying, all right, I've hit, I've hit, you know, basically uh, shady company escape velocity, he just decided to keep pressing it and keep pressing it and keep pressing it, which culminated in the Twitter deal, which I don't think he meant to even consummate, but now he has to, which is, you know, resulting in him losing advertisers and now getting into a cash crunch. The retail investor is going through the same problem on a smaller scale. The retail investor is dealing with Musk selling Tesla, driving down their shares of Tesla. The market itself is selling off because of the rise in rates. And so they're dealing with that deleveraging and prices falling at the same time. And if they had any exposure to crypto or exposure to any company with crypto, they're also feeling the deleveraging because of that. So you have this nasty kind of uh, snowball rolling down a hill here that's becoming somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And uh, and I just can't believe it. I, I honestly, you know, despite all of my predictions that crypto was going to blow up like this, and, and specifically the yield farming space, it is still stunning to me that Sam Bankman-Fried has gone under and has gone under so quickly that it's just, it's breathtaking, to be honest with you. When, when you think about the fact, like I said before, that Bankman-Fried basically was the man just 24 to 36 hours ago and all of a sudden you wake up today and he's just 
He's completely hosed. Um, and it's gone from naming rights on stadiums and and celebrity endorsements and Super Bowl commercials, right? It's gone from Super Bowl commercials to ruins, to ruins. Most recently, he was worth $16 billion, according to an article I read the other day. Now he is worth less than a billion dollars. And Zero Hedge wrote today that some of that, uh, I'm sure, will wind up going to legal expenses, which is, uh, it's really, he'll be rich for the rest of his life, but it's a stunning fall from grace, and it's going to ruin a lot of casual retail investors that, you know, tried their hand at crypto or tried their hand at Bitcoin at the worst possible time. You know, the the Super Bowl was really still somewhat of a peak because inflation had only just started to tick up and people were unsure as to whether or not... Um, unsure as to whether or not crypto would still work as an inflation hedge. Well, here we are at 16,000. And this could just be, hey, we're on the bottom to, you know, we're on our way to the bottom of this cycle uh, and crypto will eventually bounce back. It might be the case, but there are some more people that are going to have to get carried out very soon, in my opinion, uh, before that happens. And with the Fed holding course, we could really see pain for retail investors. You know, as I've said a multitude of times, there is no doubt in my mind, equities are still overvalued. And so tomorrow's CPI print could wind up telling us a whole hell of a lot. If the CPI print tomorrow comes in really hot and, you know, the market could get absolutely shellacked because now you have this tailwind or headwind, tailwind if you're short, headwind if you're long of the entire crypto space kind of blowing up and I had written about in the past many times that there is likely to be some contagion from crypto and you know look regardless of whether or not Binance bails out Bankman Freed which it looks like they might not the damage has already been done because this is a crisis of confidence in an asset or a commodity or whatever you want to call it where confidence is really the only thing that people are buying into. There's no real tangible product or service, and so it goes based on whether or not people believe it's going, you know, they'll be able to sell it to somebody for more in the future. And in an environment like this, people think exactly the opposite, which is I need to sell it to anybody right now instead of I will sell it for more in the future. You know, it was pretty obvious from reading some of the things that I've been reading uh, on social media that a lot of the trouble at FTX may have started a little bit earlier than was let on, although they did get hit with $6 billion in withdrawal uh, redemption requests within a short period of time. I think that had to do with Binance catalyzing that and uh, their CEO cautioning people to uh, take their money out on Twitter. Regardless, there's no doubt in my mind that a lot of the trouble in FTX was occurring long before, you know, these last two days. Uh, And, and, you know, we saw a lot of this with Celsius, right? Once uh, some of the records were released in court, it became clear that Celsius was distressed long before they went under. 
And that was because, you know, I did either a podcast or I wrote about this. But I think on Palisades Gold Radio, I said that Celsius obviously tried to do everything they could to right the ship before they had to come out and say, all right, well, we're suspending withdrawals, right? Because once you do that, it's game over. Everybody knows that the cat is out of the bag, the genie's out of the bottle, and you can't put it back in again. So once you come out and make the admission that you're suspending withdrawals or you're having a liquidity crunch, you kind of move beyond a point of no return where everybody understands that well and everybody kind of, you know, the psychology crumbles at that point, right? There's no... uh, there's nothing left for people to hold on to. There's no hope for people to hold on to. And really, hope is the only thing that keeps these tokens elevated. It's just, it's the psychological impression that they're going to be okay or they're going to be worth more in the future. And, that, you know, so confidence is really the big underlying prop underneath the price of a lot of these tokens. When you come out and say you're suspending withdrawals, that's over. And you kind of know it at that point. You kind of know, all right, well, you know, we have to make this admission and we have to put out this statement like everybody else has done, basically saying we're going to do what's best for our customers. We're going to try to do what's best for our shareholders. We're, you know, we can assure you that we're trying to right the ship. Once that statement comes out, they're no longer trying to right the ship. The game is over at that point. And so what these companies likely had to do beforehand was exercise all their potential options for a bailout before making that admission. And I saw today, I forget what the company was, a headline that Bankman Freed had asked another company prior to approaching Binance for a bailout. So I guess Binance was... You know, for obvious reasons, they're his biggest competitor, last on his list to go to uh, for a bailout, which uh, ultimately he had to do anyways. But when a company comes out and publicly starts to admit that they're having a liquidity crisis, that's a huge deal. Now, you contrast that with some of the statements that Bankman Freed was making on Twitter in the days prior to this happening, just coming out outright and saying assets are fine there's no crisis there's no liquidity issues deposits are safe i mean he must have been just lying completely and those are the types of things i actually saw today too that some of those tweets had been deleted those are the types of things i mean there's no point to deleting them because they've already been archived Uh, the internet has them they're all over social media But those are the types of things that if you knowingly make statements like that while the company's under distress, uh, those are the types of things that can land you in serious hot water legally. And so, you know, the guy that was regarded as the as the crypto Buffett, the guy who was going to be here forever, buy low and hold forever, the man consolidating the industry, you know, just hours later is all of a sudden the man probably seeking legal advice. And he put out a letter to his shareholders and investors that hit social media yesterday, basically telling people, I'm not going to be available 
Uh, you know, you can try to reach out to me, but understandably, I'm going to be working with the team to try to figure things out. Uh, what that means is, you know, it, zero hour is upon us, and I am, you know, uh, have officially switched into uh, keep myself out of jail mode, lawyer up mode, probably. That's probably what it means. There was another headline today that FTX's entire legal team and compliance team, or a majority of it, had resigned. Um, and so, you know, all of a sudden at the end of the day, it's just Sam Bankman Freed sitting alone in his office and, uh, and the fall, I, I, you know, I've said it a couple of times, but the fall from grace here is really one for the record books. I mean, look, Mashinsky, everybody kind of knew, uh, at least I did that that dude was full of shit and was a shady guy, but you know, the amount of press that Bankman Freed got as the savior for the yield farming industry, as the savior for DeFi, as the savior for crypto, the amount of press he was getting was serious. And now here we are. It's like one day you wake up and things are just different, right? I'm always using that analog. I'm always saying that. I say it about investor sentiment. I said it about COVID. Um, you know, basically still making that argument about market psychology in general now, because I think if the Fed holds course, that the markets are going to move much lower. And people say, well, no, you know, Goldman Sachs is talking about we're having a soft landing. And, you know, the Fed seems to be doing a good enough job and there's no problem. But what I've also said is something will light the fuse or maybe even not. Maybe we just wake up one day and things are different and all of a sudden we're limit down and we find ourselves in a position where psychology has changed significantly and and a perfect example of that is look at what happened with crypto and Sam Bankman-Fried look at the psychology of Sam Bankman-Fried right 3 days ago Warren Buffett and the savior of the entire crypto industry who bailed out failing firms 3 days later has lost 90 plus percent of his net worth probably a good portion of his clients money has seen his token collapse and is single-handedly causing a sell-off in crypto and who knows maybe some contagion going over to the equity markets but um but look at how fast that changed now when times are good the trick is to remind yourself that that kind of change can happen at any point because as i was saying there were things going on behind the scenes that we were not privy to, right? While you were watching the World Series and looking at the nicely ironed FTX logo on the front of the umpire's uniform, right? Which gives you the impression of, here's a serious company that's got their shit together. Major League Baseball sponsor, magazine cover, nicely pressed uniforms. Of course, Major League Baseball and Tom Brady and the sports arena had to do some due diligence before letting this guy just slap his logo on there. No, not at all. Just all about money. You know, Parker Petit from My Medics had sponsored a football field. Remember that? They fucking tore his name down from the football field. I'm sure the fucking scumbags at Enron had sponsored stadiums. I was, it will remain nameless. But there is a building that I walk past regularly that is sponsored 
by a company that I believe to be fraudulent. And so there are all these naming conventions that give the company an air of legitimacy. And then you wake up one day and no, it's all gone. All of it. I mean, hopefully you weren't invested in it. Hopefully it's not a real money loss for you. But if the turnaround in sentiment and psychology is not stunning for you, I don't know what's going to do it. And I got to tell you, this isn't my first day in markets. You know, I'm not a I'm not a 40-year veteran. I'm not super seasoned. But I've been around and I've seen some frauds. And, uh, and I've seen some companies collapse. This one is pretty stunning. When you think about how Bankman-Fried had basically become the face of the industry. So... Now Binance, and look, you just have to start extrapolating from here. Who were the counterparties to Alameda? Who were the counterparties to FTX, right? Who had ties to it? And what is it going to do to Bitcoin? Which again, Bitcoin is held up only by confidence as well. What's going to happen when Bitcoin reaches a certain price and that starts triggering additional margin calls and liquidations? I mean, we could be on the verge, and I'm not saying Bitcoin won't survive for the long term. Maybe it does. Who knows what its price looks like? I mean, I don't think it goes to zero. It may, you know, go significantly lower from here. I think there'll be a price for it. But I think that there's a lot of people that still need to be carried out along the way. And again, look at the macro environment. Stimulus checks have stopped. Credit card usage is at all-time highs. Everybody's mortgage and debt costs them more now than it ever has. Everybody is stretched thin. The country is suffering from a significant inflation crisis. And based on the election of my Pennsylvania senator yesterday, who I wouldn't trust to drive me around the block to the fucking grocery store... It doesn't look like the country has learned much in terms of getting people in office with some competence. And so who knows how long inflation is going to continue to be a problem. I mean, tomorrow we'll have some more answers. We'll get the CPI number and we'll see if there's a a potential sentiment shift waiting in the wings there. But if there isn't on the back of all this news, oh boy, that is a pretty big shit sandwich to serve up this week all at once. And I have to wonder, you know, if a super hot CPI print tomorrow wouldn't really tank the markets to uh, to a bad limit down scenario, you know? The thing about going like limit down is once the algorithms start catching on, you just can't stop the selling at some point. And it doesn't even matter. Because you know the all the uh, the offers that come in, some of them aren't even art- uh, some in, some of them aren't even real. I'm sure, I'm sure there's artificial offers that come in, but you know the algorithms are just like humans in the sense that psychology and sentiment takes over, and by then it's too late. Uh, and so, you know, what I was saying earlier though in this podcast was when we got to twenty thousand on Bitcoin, what I said was. I thought everybody needed to be extra cautious because what happened at 20,000 is you had this chorus of individuals basically saying the worst was over. Bankman Freed was going to bail out many of the major companies. You had people kind of consolidating, 
raising cash to buy more Bitcoin, doubling down on investments in Bitcoin that they already had. So in essence, you had a giant kind of macro refinancing of sorts in, you know, in, in the crypto world uh, when Bitcoin hit 20,000. And so as a result of that, you kind of wind up with more net exposure to crypto because you essentially are doubling down for the most part. You're, you're doubling up on your bet to gain a little bit more exposure in the hopes that you've picked the bottom. Well, that's fine when you do pick the bottom, but if Bitcoin goes down another 20, 30, 40% from there, well, all of a sudden the waterfall kind of starts all over again to the downside, right? And then you wind up with more deleveraging, more margin calls, you know, twice as many people that need to be liquidated, twice as much cash being lost from 20,000 to 10,000 than from 40,000 to 20,000. And that's what's super ugly about this space. You know, look, if this was an equity, you know, if this was the equity world, if these were stocks, there would be more pronounced, uh, there would at least be foundations in the sense that there would, you know, a company has a book value to it. They have a certain amount of cash on their balance sheet. Hopefully their assets exceed their liabilities. And so that gives them, you know, a liquidation value. Or, you know, if they're cash generative, what you can do is you can, uh, the price of the equity can suffer. But at the end of the day, buying up the cash stream is going to look attractive at some price level. And so you can say, all right, these companies may have a bottom uh, well before zero. The thing with crypto is that there isn't necessarily a bottom there. There isn't necessarily any tangible value. There isn't necessarily any assets exceeding liabilities. There isn't a, you know, necessarily any product or service that's being sold. I mean, you can make it from the beginning of the day to the end of the day without ever having to use Bitcoin fairly easily. I've done it. I mean, everybody talks about Bitcoin adoption over the last 10 years, but I'm not using Bitcoin on a regular daily basis for anything. I mean, obviously, I'm not the most technologically advanced person in the world. I don't live in fucking LA. I'm not driving a Maserati and, you know, going to dance clubs like some guy out of the fucking future every night, you know, doing a hip kind of tragically hip kind of things. I'm just a regular person. But the point is, you know, I don't need Bitcoin to get through my day at all. And so for me, you know, there's no need for me to buy it at zero. There's no need for me to buy it at a dollar because it's just like, all right, like if I don't need it, why does anybody else need it? Whereas if, you know, if Apple went to $50 a share from the 130 it's at, you could make a case that, okay, they're going to have a consistent cash flow stream that's going to continue. They have a lot of brand equity. You know, there's a lot of reason uh, to buy it at 50 valuation wise, because in the future, you know, you're going to have access to the dividends and, and, and the earnings from that company that have been consistent and robust and are more likely than not to continue. Um, but with Bitcoin, there's no such case as that, you know, not again, not to say that Bitcoin isn't going to be around. The question is, in a situation like this, the reason I'm pointing it out is because there's nothing that makes Bitcoin a buy at 15,000 that didn't make it a buy at 30,000. You know, when I talked to my buddy Larry Lepard on the podcast, 
a month or two ago, you know, he said, oh, it could go to 2 million. Bitcoin could go to 2 million. And uh, in response to me posting that, Jim Chanos replied to me one day, you know, that would put its market cap at like, uh, I don't know what, but ridiculous, $40 trillion or something. And uh, and he was just like, I'll take the under, you know, because there's, there's no need for it to become $40 trillion. There's, there's no need, you know, uh, a cash flow stream that expands like, okay, well, you can say, all right, well, there's value there. But so for Bitcoin, when you go to price it, and even when you ask experts, how do you price Bitcoin? Most of them give you a bunch of gobbledygook bullshit about technical analysis. Oh, you got a cup and handle here. You got a head and shoulders here. You know, it's got this good level, the RSI, the Fibonacci's. None of that means dick. D-I-C-K. It doesn't mean dick because there is nothing underneath it that has any type of tangible value. There's no earnings. There's no yield, you know, which again is kind of what makes the yield farming thing so nefarious. But there's nothing there. So there's really, you know, if Apple's at 150, you can say, all right, it's overpriced at 20 times earnings. If it goes to 75, you can say it's priced at 10 times earnings, which is a little bit more of a, you know, value proposition. There's a little bit more value there. With Bitcoin at 15,000, there's no argument that you're going to be able to make other than it was just at 30,000 and maybe it'll go back. That's going to make you that's really going to convince you to buy it for any type of fundamental reason more than when it was at 30,000. And the same is going to happen if Bitcoin goes to 7,500, right? People will just say, all right, well, it's 50% cheaper, but it's like, all right, why buy it at 7,500 if I'm not going to buy it at 15,000? And if you want me to buy it at 7,500, why not just wait till 3,750? And so that's what makes this whole situation really tricky and kind of what, you know, when you get capitulation in equity markets, there's always, there's always a, uh, a multiple to fall back on. There's always a, you know, that S&P medium bear market multiple of 13 times earnings. So if you see companies at eight times earnings, you say, all right, well, maybe they're really starting to get cheap to fall back on now. With crypto, there's none of that. There's a big air pocket and a big bubble, and a big open space, and everybody's just trying to guess where the bottom is. And so when you get capitulation in equities, at least you know you're heading towards a cheaper valuation. When you get it in crypto, well, you're just heading lower. And who knows, maybe you'll keep heading lower, but there's no real foundation there that is definitive that's going to convince people to step in and buy it other than just price. And this has been the argument forever with crypto. You know, that price tells the story. Well, price is what you pay and value is what you get, like Buffett says, right? So price is what you pay, but what's the value that you get? Well, you're not really getting anything. So it's just price. And so for years, I've been railing against the Bitcoin bull case, which has been that the price is going up. And what I've been saying is that's not a bull case. They're right. The price has gone up. People that bought low and rode it up to 60000 made a lot of money. But what I have always said is that past performance is not indicative of future results. And that's why that's number one on every financial brochure, every financial forum, every financial office you go to. It always says that. Past performance is not indicative of future results because 
price, past price moves don't mean shit. It's nice to say there's a trend. It's nice to say the trend is your friend. But at the end of the day, it all boils down to fundamentals. And crypto doesn't really have any. I mean, at the end of the day, not only do these assets not really have any fundamentals, but the entire asset class doesn't really have any fundamentals. It's just a bunch of people just shuffling things around that don't have any value. And it's like, all right, well, we're going to create this network to do this, this network to do this. It's like, all right, but, you know, when I go into the food store to buy broccoli and then I go home and make a salad and I watch TV and I go to bed, crypto isn't involved anywhere there. You know, oh, things change with the Lightning Network. Things change with the Lightning Network. All right, but I don't see it. You know, it certainly doesn't, it doesn't seem to be fulfilling any type of demand. Now, I get the case for peer-to-peer. I get the case for decentralized. I get the case for digital. But as a burgeoning asset class with all of these things still left to work out, right? What's going to happen in the age of quantum computing? What's going to happen, you know, if the power goes out? You know, is are these things going to stand the test of time? Is Bitcoin going to stand the test of time? While we're hashing out all those things, on top of the fact that the asset really doesn't have much to it at a point where, you know, the consumer and the retail investor is stretched with 4% rates and we're having a psychological breakdown in crypto. I mean, if you ask me, the floor is fucking basically zero, right? Not saying it's going to go to zero, but, you know, Apple, the floor might be what? $12 or something before somebody comes in and makes a bid and says, well, the property plan equipment and cash and everything they have in the cash flow stream is worth well more than $12. So, there will be a point if Apple went to 12, somebody would come in and offer 15 for it and say, we're paying a 25% premium. Let's just wrap this up. For Bitcoin, I don't know if there's a price for that. All I know is right now, you can't tell me that there's a case for buying it at 13,000 that doesn't exist at 15,000, right? So what I've said before and what I'm kind of holding myself to is, look, if Tether blows... That's the other thing we have to watch now with Bitcoin moving lower. What's going to happen with Tether? Is that, you know, fucking mess finally going to implode at some point? We'll see. When that happens, when Sailor gets carried out, when there's real panic in crypto, when the mainstream narrative is that crypto is dead and is completely useless going forward and Bitcoin has no future and it was the biggest scam in history. When that and that may not be the case. It may have some utility going forward, but what did we just see? We saw Bankman Freed on the cover of Forbes or something calling him Buffett. When the cover of Barron's or The Economist says crypto, the biggest fraud of our generation, or crypto, the biggest con anybody has ever gotten involved with, you know, it fooled everybody. We thought it was something, but it was a big nothing. And Michael Saylor is forced, he's already been forced to fucking step down as CEO. But when MicroStrategy eats it even further, that'll be the time where I say, all right, well, maybe we should take a look. Where's Bitcoin priced at now? All I know is right now, with rates at 4%, I'm not hearing any fucking chirping, okay, that I was hearing six months ago, 12 months ago, 18 months ago, anytime, and I didn't even say anything negative, anytime I tried to offer up a word of caution about yield farming. Anytime I tried to offer up a word of caution about Ethereum, about Bitcoin, 
you know, take it easy. Calm down. I've, you know, had family members ask me, should we invest in Bitcoin now? I said, ah, it's not really my cup of tea. I don't give financial advice, but you know, maybe not. I wrote that satirical thing around Christmas time last year. Uh, the letter to family members pitching me on crypto. You know, I got all these bad responses to that. I don't get it. I'm an idiot. I'm this, I'm that, you know, where's everybody now? There's a five seconds silence and I don't hear anybody. I don't hear any chirping, you know? You can come back and chirp me when Bitcoin makes it back to 50,000, 100,000 at the end of this cycle, if there's another cycle. But right now, all of the causes for concern that people were pointing out have come to fruition, okay? Peter Schiff's debate with Alex Mashinsky, everything he said in November, I think it was, of 2021, when Bitcoin was at 50,000 still, and that smug motherfucker, Mashinsky, was telling him he's a fool, telling him gold has no value, telling him gold earns yield, all this terrible, toxic, disgusting shit that normal retail everyday investors may not be able to differentiate as nonsense because they're still learning, right? All that evil, nefarious stuff that he was saying, right, all been proven wrong. So anybody that's offered caution has been right. There has been a reason to be cautious because we, you know, the screws are tightening now. The Fed is tightening the screws. The excess is starting to come out of the system. This is what's supposed to happen after you have some euphoria. You're supposed to see the malinvestment go south. It just so happens that a lot of it is in crypto and a lot of it was left to run for a while to the point where you had leverage on top of leverage on top of leverage on top of leverage. So because it ran and the bubble got so big, same with equities too, because the bubble got so big, the downfall is going to be that much more significant. And so next time something happens where somebody urges you to take caution or says, hey, maybe just look at the other side of the coin, let this be a reminder. Because four days ago, if you saw Sam Bankman-Fried at a club, you would want to take your picture with him and tell him what a genius he was. But tonight, if you saw him at a club, you'd want to throw your drink in his face because he probably lost your fucking money somewhere. If not in FTX, somewhere correlated with FTX or in the equity market, which is selling off as a result of the crypto bust. So just remember, things can fucking change very quickly. They can change overnight. They can change like that. And that's why I continue to think that equity markets are going to have a similar moment going forward here. As long as the Fed holds course, I think the pipe bomb, the 4% in nine months, that type of hike has put a lit pipe bomb into the plumbing of the economy and the markets that has not exploded yet, but it will. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been our Bullshit Economy on the Road Edition. Again, thank you for bearing with the poor audio quality And I can't wait to see how this saga ends up. I will be back with a new podcast very soon. I want to shout out again J.M. Bullion, George Gammon, my friends over at Masterworks and Market Rebellion. Please check them out in the podcast description. Show them some love. And follow me on Substack, quotetheraven.substack.com. The name of the blog is Fringe Finance. All right, fools. I want to thank you one more time for listening. Sorry again about the audio quality. I'll be back in the studio for the next podcast. I swear uh, it'll sound much better. All right, fools. I'm out. Peace.